Good morning. morning. Open with me in your copy of the scriptures to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look primarily at verses 20 through 23 today. I'm going to take the privilege of preaching a little bit out of 19. As you turn there, I want to just remind you that, that we're looking here at a complete thought unit that the apostle has in a prayer. For the Ephesians in verses 15 through 23. And in this prayer, after having given thanks for the Ephesians, he prayed that they would have the spirit of wisdom, the knowledge of God, and enlightened hearts to understand the power of God toward them, the hope that God has given them, the riches that await them, to understand the power of God in their lives. That is likely one of the chief needs of believers in every age. It was true in first century Christianity and it's true today. In our lives in this small group of believers this morning, we have brothers and sisters that are dealing with afflictions. Some are through the providence of God, to draw us closer to Him and the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the afflictions that we're experiencing this morning are self-inflicted. But they're afflictions nonetheless, and they serve God's purpose in our lives. We are believers that are going through trials in our lives in various ways. Each and every one of us, brother and sister, are subject to temptations. We all have besetting sins that we lament over, that we confess regularly and consistently. We often wonder if the besetting sin that seems to straddle our back is a thorn in the flesh. We have prayed over and over that God would remove it, but He has not. But He continues to tell us that His grace is sufficient. We experience frustrations in this life, at home, at work, with friends and loved ones. We don't like to think about this very often, but we all experience failure in our life, don't we? We experience failure in our relationships at home, and often we experience what we consider to be failure in our relationships with the Lord our God. We have relationship difficulties with our wives and husbands, with our children. We have relationship difficulties at work. We have relationship difficulties with our friends. Relationships are difficult, aren't they? I would say that chiefly the relationship that we experience the most difficulty with from our perspective is our relationship with the Lord our God. It is there that the conviction of the Lord comes more often than in those others and often even more deeply. In the end, what it amounts to is is that brothers and sisters, we often find ourselves struggling in this thing called the Christian life, don't we? I know I do, and I suspicion that Each and every one of you do as well. At the end of the day, when we distill this down, what we often feel is the frustration of feeling powerless. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel frustration at feeling powerless? Am I the only one that would really like to control my circumstances? We feel the frustration of feeling powerless. I hope to encourage you today by telling you that By feeling the frustration of feeling powerless, we are on the right trajectory. 
We are on the correct trajectory. We are just beginning to learn the elementary lesson that Jesus taught his disciples in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are just beginning to learn the ABCs of what it means to be able to do nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that in verse 19, the power of God toward us, it is the immeasurable greatness of His power to those of us who believe. We need that. We need the immeasurable power of God toward us, don't we, my fellow believers? There are numerous reasons, but there are two that I would like to put forth before you this morning for your consideration as I try to preach God's Word. Those two reasons that we need the tremendous, great, immeasurable power of God in our life are these. Number one, we're weak. We're weak. I would go so far as to say that we are powerless. And beyond that, let us never, ever lose sight of the fact that we have an enemy that walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is not just our adversary. He is not just our antagonist. He would destroy us if he could. We are weak, and we have an enemy. Our greatest need is to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me be clear. That immeasurable power of God's greatness for our good is toward those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those whom have experienced His free and sovereign grace, who have been made spiritually alive, who have been given the new birth. And the evidence of that is their faith toward Jesus Christ and their repentance toward God. The immeasurable power of God's greatness. You know, the Bible says that that. As we look at the creation that's around us, there are two things that we can see clearly from that. Number one, there is a God. And number two, He is all-powerful. We can just see that from the creation around us. Atheists, agnostics, all those folks that are lying to themselves, they can see that clearly. If they have a rational mind and a conscience, they know that there is a God and He is all-powerful. And as we look through the biggest telescopes that we have in orbit around this planet, we see the infinitude of the universe. God's an all-powerful God and the universe in its infinity is amazing. We read in the Psalms that God created everything that we see out there through those telescopes through the work of His fingers. Through the work of His fingers. They, they personify God and they talk about Him doing that with His fingers. In a later Psalm we read this, that the work of God's redemption, the work of God's redemption contrasted with the work of God's creation was not done with His fingers but with the mighty power of His right hand and His holy arm. So, my point to you this morning is this, is that the work of redemption in the lives of God's people is the most magnificent, tremendous display of God's power that there is, superseding even the creation of this universe. And the power of God is best seen in the greatness of God's power toward the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in His uh, resurrection and in His ascension. So, as we consider what God has accomplished for us in Christ this morning, let us also consider 
who we are in Christ and what is ours in Christ in that immeasurable power of God toward us. It should be our prayer and our life's work to know the power of God toward us and to comprehend who we are and what ours, what is ours in the man, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's important to understand that we were all born descendants of Adam. Paul tells us clearly in the book of Romans that Adam is the federal head of every man. And when Adam sinned, we sinned in him. He is our representative. But for those of us elect in the Lord Jesus Christ from before the foundation of the world, just as Adam is our representative, so is Jesus of Nazareth. So many things that were true of Adam are true of us. And the Bible also tells us that so many things that are true of Jesus of Nazareth are true of us. So as we think on these things this morning, let it not be lost that the Lord Jesus Christ is a common man in this sense. Many of the things that he's experienced and many of the things that he's accomplished have been set to our account. And it is through him and through him alone that the immeasurable power of God's greatness comes to us. Look with me as I read the scriptures this morning. I'm going to begin in verse 15 and read the entire thought unit down through 23. Then we'll pray and I'll preach. The apostle says to us this morning in verse 15, he said, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and here it is, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we stand amazed this morning in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth, thinking, Lord, that you would have determined before the foundation of the world to save sinners and worms like us. Father, the life that we lead is often filled with trials and temptations and frustrations. Would you impress upon us today, Father, beyond the riches and the inheritance that are ours in Jesus Christ, beyond the hope that we have in Christ? Father, would you specifically impress upon us this morning and cause your Spirit to make us aware of the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us that believe, in accordance with the great might that you worked in Jesus of Nazareth when you resurrected him out from among the dead, in his ascension to his rightful place on the throne at your right hand where he rules and reigns and intercedes for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll take our text and the subject matter in it today in three points. The first one is from verse 20. 
The power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to the Father. The power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to the Father. The second point from verse 21 in the first half of verse 22, the power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to all of creation. And then lastly, the second half of verse 22 and verse 23, the power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to the church. The power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to the Father is seen in Ephesians 1.19 and 20. The immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. The relationship of the man, Jesus of Nazareth, as representative of believers, defines the relationship of His people with the Father. Christ was crucified, and we were crucified with Christ, according to Romans chapter 6. We have been made alive together with Him. In His resurrection, we are resurrected, according to Colossians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus was raised up in His ascension, and He is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And Paul will tell us in the very next chapter of Ephesians, in the sixth verse, that we are raised up and seated with Him in heavenly places. He is the representative man of all believers. We have been crucified, buried, resurrected. We are ascended and seated in Christ at the right hand of God Almighty. Now I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. What we have in this verse is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, and His exaltation and His seating in the throne that is rightfully His in glory at the right hand of His Father, where He intercedes for us each day. Now the first thing that I would draw our attention to regarding the power of God toward us is this, is that God was under no obligation to save any one of us, or anyone else for that matter. The Lord Jesus Christ was under no obligation to lay aside the glory of His Godhead and to assume flesh in the womb of the Virgin, but He did. God sent His only begotten Son to save the people that He placed in Him before the foundation of the world, motivated by love for us, by His free and sovereign love that He chose under no obligation to set upon us. That is what motivated God to save us, His free love toward us. It would necessitate the death of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why must Jesus die? in order to deal with the sins of His people. The Lord Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He revealed everything about God that God sent Him to reveal to us, and then He was made to be sin for us, in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He went to the cross to deal with our sin under the wrath of God, the just and holy wrath directed toward His Son who had been made sin for us. And there, the currency that sin is dealt with in was poured out, the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ our Lord under the wrath of Almighty God was shed for my sin and your sin, my brother and sister in Christ. And there, the Lord Jesus Christ paid fully 
finally and completely for every single and specific sin that will ever cross my mind or your lips or that we will ever commit. We know that he obtained forgiveness for his people, that he absolutely accomplished salvation for us at the cross. How do we know? Because he dismissed his spirit from his body and he experienced physical death. They took his body down and they lay him in the tomb and he lay there for parts of three days, cold and dead, but his body did not see corruption. How do we know that he accomplished what it was that he came to do? Because the Lord God resurrected his cold, dead body out of death. He resurrected him out from among the dead. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is living proof of the power of Almighty God turned loose against our sin on the cross, that the, the wrath of Almighty God was satisfied, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ out from among the dead is the stamp of God's proof that He is absolutely satisfied with the sacrifice of blood that the Lord Jesus Christ made on that cross. He is resurrected out from the tomb. The Bible tells us that He is resurrected for our justification. But you know, if you think about that for a moment, the, the Lord Jesus Christ justified us in His resurrection, but it also is a justification of who He is, who He claimed to be, and what He accomplished on the cross. If He had not been absolutely, totally, completely successful in satisfying the wrath of God against sin, He would still be in that tomb. His body would have seen corruption, and we would still be lost and undone in our sin. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the pure work of God. Christ was justified in His life and in His death and in His sacrifice, and He justified us when He stood up from that cold rock slab and walked out on resurrection morning. But it doesn't stop there. The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. He left this earth and He went to the glory of God's right hand. His disciples saw Him as He ascended into the clouds of glory. The Bible tells us that in that ascension He led captivity captive, which simply means this, is that not only has He defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave, but as He ascended to the right hand of God, He passed through all of the spiritual beings that would try to hold him on this earth and keep him from his rightful place at God's right hand, and he has triumphed over them in every way. He has led captivity captive. And our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of his Father. And what does he do there? Many things. But the two that are most important to us this morning from this text is this, is that he rules and he reigns and he upholds the universe. And number two, He intercedes for me and for you, my brother and sister, every moment of every day. Do you realize that if at any moment the Lord Jesus Christ ceased to uphold this universe by the word of His power, it would cease to exist? Do you also realize that if for one single moment the Lord Jesus Christ ceased to intervene, if He ceased to intercede in His prayers on our behalf, His high priestly work on our behalf, we would perish. We would perish. Do you understand that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and between them there is one will and there is one power and that is to see the elect of God delivered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just delivered from the penalty of sin. Not just delivered from the power of sin. But delivered from the very presence of sin into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. The Lord Jesus Christ does not cease to intercede. He does not cease to do His high priestly work on our behalf for one moment. 
Friends, I tell you that there is no place that we can look and see more of the immensity and the immeasurable power of the greatness of Almighty God toward us than in the incarnation and the sinless life and the sacrificial substitutionary death of Jesus Christ our Lord. His ascension to the right hand of the Father, His being seated on the throne at His Father's right hand, and the fact that He ever lives to make intercession for us. Praise God. There is the glory of God. There is the power of God. There is our hope. There is our inheritance. There is our security. Rest in that. The second thing that I'd like to point out is the power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to all of creation. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under His feet. What we're reading about here is the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over all beings in this universe. He has authority and supremacy over all the beings in this universe. They are all subject to Him. The beings on earth, the beings under the earth, and the beings in heaven are subject to Jesus of Nazareth. The holy angels, the ones who have remained faithful to the Lord God, are subject to Christ. The fallen angels, including Satan, who have rebelled against God, who hate God, who hate His Word, who hate His people, who would destroy us if they could, who are opposed to everything righteous and holy and good, are subject to Christ. The demons that are at work in this world, the demons that may oppress you, the demons that may bring temptation to you, the demons that may work on me all week long, are subject to Jesus. He is supreme above all. Every beggar, every slave in this world is subject to Jesus Christ. Every conqueror, every president, Every prime minister, every premier that will ever live, has ever lived, is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every preacher, every pastor, every evangelist is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every king and every conqueror that will ever live is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. They do His bidding, they do His will, and it is all for His glory and the good of His people. Amen. The glory of all of heaven and the glory of all of earth belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and heaven and earth all exist for His glory and for His pleasure. You exist and I exist for His glory and for His pleasure. All creatures, all creatures, even that word creature means that they are not self-existent, they exist by the creative power of Almighty God, Jesus Christ our Lord. All creatures, every creature, will either bow to Him in obedience or will receive the wages of their rebellion under His wrath, no exception. Every creature that there has ever been will either bow to Him in obedience, or they will receive the wages of their rebellion under His wrath. His name is above all names in this age and in the one to come. Paul and those theologians of the Jewish persuasion in his day recognizes there were two ages. There was the evil age in which they lived, and there was the glorious age of righteousness which was coming. And that's not a bad way to divide it. What Paul is telling us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this. 
is that he is above all the rule and authority and power and dominion in the spiritual world. And then on this planet, he is above every name that is named, not just in this age, but in the age to come. We can't name all the premiers, all the presidents, and all the kings, and all the conquerors, but we need not. His name is above every name. They are subject to Him. In Philippians chapter 2, we've already read this verse. We read, Therefore God has highly exalted the Lord Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the risk of sounding like an evangelist, let me point this out. Everyone who has ever lived at some point is going to confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have either been crushed under the grace of Almighty God, or you will be crushed under the wrath of Almighty God. You will bow your knee and you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the first half of verse 22, Paul tells us that God has put all things under the feet of the man, Jesus Christ. That means all things are under His feet. He is communicating to us this, is that Jesus of Nazareth has absolute dominion. He has absolute dominion. He has no rival. There is no one that can frustrate Him. There is no danger to His throne. He has absolute and complete dominion. Jesus of Nazareth. The man, Jesus, is the absolute sovereign God of this universe. He is sovereign in your salvation, and He is sovereign in the condemnation of the unjust. He is sovereign in love toward us, and He is sovereign in wrath toward unbelievers. He is sovereign in bringing us in, and He is sovereign in casting out the unrepentant rebels. The Lord Jesus is sovereign in the deliverance of His people, and He is sovereign in the damnation of those who will not bow the knee to Him in this life. He has absolute dominion. He is absolutely supreme. And He is absolutely sovereign. The one who is sovereign, the one who is supreme, and the one who has dominion has saved you, my brother. He has saved you, my sister. He is sanctifying us. He is preserving us. He is interceding for us every moment of every day with God the Father. He is delivering us from the power of sin. He is delivering us from the presence of sin. He is delivering us to where He is, providing all that we need for this day. Providing everything that we need for this day. The immeasurable power of the greatness of God toward us is seen in the Lord Jesus Christ's relationship to His Father as the Savior of His people. And it is seen in His relationship as being the absolute supreme one with dominion over all of creation, over all human beings, over all spiritual beings, over the entire earth, over every age, over all of eternity. The third thing I'd like for us to consider this morning is the power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to the church. The Holy Spirit tells us through Paul in the second half of Ephesians 1.22, God gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice, the Lord God 
gave him as head over all things to the church. You understand that the church itself and Christ being the head over it is a gift by the free and sovereign grace of Almighty God. We are a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ, as unbelievable as that sounds, and certainly the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift to us, but by God's gift, by His free and sovereign grace, the Lord God has made Him the head of the church. This gifting of Christ to the church speaks of the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus to His church. We may discuss exactly what that word church means, but it doesn't mean less than this. It means all of God's elect, all of the ones who God has chosen to call out, all of us. From the very weakest one of us to the very strongest one of us, from the very youngest one of us to the very oldest one of us, to the very poorest one of us, to the very richest one of us. From the ones of us that often wonder, could God really love a sinner like me? From the ones of us that doubt. From the ones of us that watch the ceiling fan go around and the tears stream down our eyes and we think, I did it again today. Can I really love Jesus and live the way I live? The ones in whom God seems to be working the most humility to the ones that haven't learned the lesson of humility yet. You know we have brothers and sisters that think they have this thing all worked out, right? But if they trust Christ, they're still our brother and sister. May God work humility and confidence in the right amount in each and every one of us. From the weakest to the strongest. Christ is the head of His church. He is the head over all things to His church. It is His church and He loves it. We are His church, and He loves us. He purchased us with His blood. He purchased His church with His blood. And the Bible tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus controls all things related to His church. It's His church, and He loves it. The supreme, sovereign God, Jesus Christ our Lord, controls all things related to His church. Yes, all things. Whether we grow or whether we don't grow, whether we meet in a conference center or whether we meet in a little church building or whether we meet in a storefront, you know who's in charge of that? The Lord Jesus is. He hasn't forgotten about us, folks. I didn't read much news over the weekend. My bride and I went to the woods and camped out. That's another time and another story. But I turned the, I turned the news off. But I understand that the United States Supreme Court is expected to make an announcement on a decision that will have significant impact on the Roe versus Wade decision from many years ago. It's my prayer that that will be overturned 
and that maybe we'll start on a new trajectory of valuing life in this country. But it seems that our Department of uh, Homeland Security and others expect a potential violent situation if that is overturned. People have promised to attack the Supreme Court. They've promised to attack the Supreme Court justices, and they've promised to attack churches that stand in opposition to abortion. Are we subject to that attack? Certainly we are. Need we fear? We need not fear. Who's in control? The Lord Jesus Christ, the absolute sovereign God, the one who has dominion of the entire universe, is in control. This is his church, and he loves it. He controls all things related to it. The church is the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride whom he loved unto death, and we are the bride whom he will present to his Father on that final day without spot or without wrinkle. Brothers and sisters, we are dressed in the bright white righteous robes of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm afraid each day mine gets a little dusty and some days it gets a little muddy. But the day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to present His bride, His church, me and you, to His Father. And there will be no spot and there will be no wrinkle. The church is His body. Not just His purchased possession. Not just His bride. But the Bible tells us that the church is His body. Composed of all of the elect. Not any less and not any more. But all of those that God gave Him before the foundation of the world. And He is the head of His church. He is the head of his own body. Notice in the description that the scriptures give us with regard to his association with his church as the head of his own body. He's not just the leader. He's not just the commander. He's not the president. He's not the chief officer. It's not just a relationship of a superior and inferior or of a master and his slave. We are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Greg, can you explain that to me? No, I cannot. But I can tell you that the Bible tells us beyond any shadow of a doubt that we are the body of Christ, not in the same sense that we are some sort of a society that associates ourselves with Him. We are not just a group of people that He associates with. There is a supernatural relationship. The life that is in Jesus Christ is the life that animates His church. The same, the same life that flows in the blood and the body and the veins of the Lord Jesus Christ flow in His people, the church. It is supernatural. It is a spiritual relationship between the head of the church and His body. It is a living relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and His body. It is an indivisible union between the Lord Jesus Christ and His body. The life that is in Christ is the life that is in His church. The Lord Jesus Christ is not just the fountain of life. He is life itself. And it is that life that animates His body, the church. And Paul goes on to tell us under the inspiration that that body is the fullness of Him who fills all in all. I can't understand all of that, not by a long stretch. But it does mean this. It means that it is He, Jesus Christ the Lord, that supplies and fulfills all of the shortcomings and the defects of those of us that make up the church. He supplies and fulfills the shortcoming 
in every one of our lives with the Spirit of God and the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus Christ, the fullness who fills all in all. The immeasurable power of the greatness of God toward those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in the relationship of Jesus Christ to the Father as the Savior of His people. That immeasurable power of God toward us in Christ is seen in the relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ to all of His creation is the absolute supreme sovereign with dominion over all. And it is seen, the power of God toward us in Christ's relationship to the church. The purchaser of the church with his blood, the groom of the church that is his bride, and the head of the church, which is his own body. He is the fullness that fills all in all. May God allow you to find comfort in this, my struggling brother. May God allow you to find comfort in this, my struggling sister. Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. He has purchased us, me and you, with his own blood. He is our groom. We are his beloved bride. He is our head. We are his body. We are empty in ourselves, yes. He fills us. He is our fullness. The gates of hell cannot, shall not, and will not prevail against us because of the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward us. In Jesus Christ our Lord. May God give us eyes to see and hearts to know the hope and the riches and the power that we possess by the free and sovereign grace of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful and thankful for our Lord Jesus, for the Spirit of God who ministers Him to us. Lord, we thank You for the hope and the riches and the power that are ours in Christ. Father, we confess before you this morning that we often do not avail ourselves of the power that is ours in Christ. Father, would you teach us to do that? Would you cause us to meditate upon your word and send your spirit to open the eyes of our heart and our understanding and give us the illumination that we need to understand this spiritual truth. And Spirit, we pray that you would, would do the work in us that only you can, that would cause us to use the power that is ours right now, at this moment, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and use that power against the afflictions and the trials and the temptations and the frustrations that we have. Father, we pray that you would use that to create a deep sense of humility in us. Lord, we pray that you would let us rest in the humility that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for us and let us rise up and walk in the power of the life that his resurrection ministers to us. Lord, would you bless us now as we go through the rest of this Lord's Day Give us time to meditate upon these things. We pray that you would bring it to our mind often. Lord, we pray that you would bring in this week 
ahead of us, people into our path that need to hear the message of the Lord Jesus. Make us sensitive to that. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to plainly declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus to them. Lord, we thank you for the one that you sent to declare it to us in each one of our lives. Apart from that, Lord, we would still be lost and undone and on our way to perdition. Lord, we thank you for your free and sovereign grace that has brought us into this body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.